Welcome to Broadcast with a capital BR. I'm your host, Geo, and I thank you for clicking that play button. Broadcast is an Apex Legends podcast. It is your number one ultimate source of Apex Legends-related content from news, deep dives, to community-related topics. We hope that you will join us on our quest for knowledge and mastery as we explore Apex together. With that said, we would like to welcome any first-time listeners. If you would like to become a part of the broadcast community, please visit our link tree at linktree forward slash BR underscore broadcast, where you will find all of our links. So this cast is actually going to be bonus content. Um, And the bonus content that we're going to be giving out at here at the beginning is going to be coverage of the ALGS results and things like that. Um, And so basically what I want to do here is give you our topics um, as they are situated around ALGS and, um, learning from them. So basically we're going to be doing the announcements and quick topics. We're going to do ALGS structure. And so we'll cover the structure of ALGS um, probably at least every time to talk about the point of we are in, in the structure uh, according to what cast we are and what date we're doing the cast. Right. Uh, Then we'll do the ALGS results. And that's where I analyze some of the end game moments that we got to see during the last week of ALGS. And then also we're going to have the final section called learn from the pros. Um, and this is basically where I take and I go watch. And of course I take notes throughout um, the the weekend and then I will put them down and I will share them with you and share my thoughts on them as well. And uh, maybe how I'm seeing something different being at a lower ELO or, you know, something like that. So basically I just want to be able to give you anything I can learn um, and maybe you can use it to, to improve your gameplay in Apex. All right. So let's go ahead and hop into this. So our show announcements and quick topics. So the first thing I'd like to announce is that on October 30th, we will have our first event, our first ever broadcast event. We are having a pop-up kill race. And here's what you need to know. The kill race is going to last from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. CST. And we want you to collect as many kills as you can in the Shadow Royale event. You can take a screenshot of each game and then basically submit those to me, Geo, um, at geo number four, five, seven, four on discord. You can just simply add me and then send me your screenshots of the games between those hours. And then whoever gets the most kills during that time period, which is a pretty decent sized time period, um, you can earn up to a thousand or you will earn a thousand apex coins, whoever gets the most kills. So you don't have to necessarily play the whole time. You can hop in on a certain time. The shadow Royale event allows you to get many kills. So, you know, who knows what that's going to look like. Um, another thing that we're doing is if you dress up in a costume for Halloween at, during your stream, if you stream um, yourself during the event that we're having, you get an extra 10 kills added on top of whatever score you submit. And so, of course, 10 kills can mean a lot. Um, it could be the, uh, the breaking point between first and second place. So that would be pretty cool to see if we can uh, feature you all on our Twitter and on our di- in our Discord um, if you're dressed up and playing um, within the event, right? Uh, the next thing I'd like to do is, is simply just have you all go to Steam right now and leave a review. So Apex has got moved from very positive to mixed reviews, and this is never good for any game on Steam. A lot of people will go in there and they'll look at um, the rating and then they'll choose from the ratings whether or not they actually want to play. And right now they're getting a lot of reviews about messed up servers, which we've had. Right. Um, But let's go ahead and add some positivity by going and giving them a very positive review um, so that that can be bumped back up and people can look at this game and and see it and say, hey, this game's worth giving a try. Right. 
Um, and that definitely helps us a whole lot, right? As a, we're doing a podcast on Apex, we love to support them and um, we definitely want to be able to have content in the future. And the only way that we can have content is if there's players, right? All right, so let's move into topic one. Topic one is the ALGS structure. So I'm going to try my best. If you've watched the ALGS, you know that the um, one of the ladies that does the ALGS announcements actually does a really good um, job of explaining these. So you can always go to the stream that they have on YouTube and look at that, and, and she'll do a much better job than me. Um, of course, I'm pretty informal on these podcasts, so you know we might have some messing up here and there, but um, I'm going to try my best to be top-notch quality here. So the way she starts is ALGS has been reborn. And we know that there has been some issues in the past with ALGS, but what what they're doing here is pretty interesting. And it's, it's actually pretty, pretty, quite confusing. So way it's been reborn is there's two dis- distinct splits. There's split one and split two, each with a playoff series and feeding into the tw- 2022 ALGS championship. So basically we're going to begin with 40 teams in each region. And there is five different regions. Those five regions are the Asia Pacific North, the Asia Pacific South, Europe and Middle East and Africa, North America and South America. And of course, you can go onto their website. They actually have at www.ea.com forward slash games forward slash Apex Legends forward slash compete forward slash overview. You can look at the rules and in this list from all the countries, um, like for instance, APAC North. Or Asia Pacific North is Japan, Mongolia, and South Korea. APAC South is um, Australia, Bangladesh, Hong Kong, India. Um, Europe, Middle East, and Asia is like Austria, Egypt, France, Georgia. Um, we got North America is Canada, um, the U.S., uh, Dominican Republic, Mexico. And then we got South America, which is like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, per- uh, Peru, Uruguay. I mean, so... You- you can go on this and see all the different uh, places that people are coming to play apex from. And it's actually pretty neat. So let's continue on. So of course there's 40 teams from five global regions. 20 of the teams were invited based upon previous performance and you will see them. They will be um, the veterans is how they will refer to them. Um, And obviously they played the game before been in this kind of situation before. So they have a hand up on the next 20 slots, which are full of people who have fought their way through a preseason comp. 40 squads have been split into groups of 10 and play in a double round robin system throughout week five or five weeks, 12 match regular season earning points based upon their performance. At the end of the first split, teams will be broken into three groups. So this is where uh, we made it. We made it to the end of the first split. The first split is going to include all those 40 squads and all those teams fighting in each region to to claim um, their spot into what will happen after the split, which is when they will be split separated into three different groups. There'll be teams that qualify for the split one playoffs automatically. Then we'll have teams that auto qualify for split two. And then we're going to have at risk teams. So those at risk teams will move down to face other teams from the challenger circuit in the pro league qualifier. And I believe almost anybody could get into the challenger circuit as long as you meet the requirements. And so you can go online and and apply to be a part of the challenger circuit and then eventually face these at-risk teams as I believe that's how it happens. Don't take me for word, but I think that's exactly how it happens. And the, whenever the at-risk teams play the challenger circuit, it's actually going to be a two day tourney to say which eight teams out of all those teams will return to join in split two. 
The split one playoffs will show 40 teams from all regions, right? That's going to have all different regions in it um, to claim glory, cash, and playoff points. So to sum it up, for each split, a team can win up to $30,000 in all regions except for Apex South and South America. They can only earn up to $15,000. In the playoffs, teams can win up to $250,000. And then, of course, in the championship, teams can win up to $500,000. This is actually a lot of money in in a sport, um, especially something like video games. I mean, I'm a personal fan of like CrossFit. And to win like the number one CrossFit event of the year was literally like only $300,000. And here teams that are really top notch have a chance to win, you know, over half a million dollars to split between, you know, the organization and the teams or however they do that. Right. So there's a lot of money up for grabs here. And I think that 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 shows respawns, um, you know, wants to appreciate or EA respawn, whoever puts all these on wants to appreciate the players by giving back to them. Um, through a large prize pool, right? It's a lot of money. So they pre-made also one of the cool things that they did was you, you almost everybody that's in any of these teams gets money. The way that I saw it on their rules is like, basically, even if you're like the bottom team, you still win some form of money, whether it's, I think it's $5,000, $8,000 to split. So you're not wasting your time completely. Of course, it's a lot of stress that comes with it if you only have to, if you only get to win a little bit of cash, but you still get to win something. So I enjoy that. So basically, the best regions will send more teams to split two playoffs. So whatever region um, actually plays the best, when split two playoffs come, they'll be able to send um, more teams there. So you'll it'll be, you know, if, if North America does better than, um, Europe, then North America is going to be able to send more North American teams to the split two playoffs before the championships than Europe would. Right. So that's how it'll work at the end of the playoffs. The top three teams will be the first to secure their place at the ALGS championship. And I believe that's for not only split ones playoffs, but also split two. So you'll have like six teams from each. I think that's how that works. And then all the remaining teams will then be moved. Okay. So that's actually talking about split one. So split one, the top three teams will secure their place in the championship. They don't have to even play no more, really. And then all the remaining teams will be moved back to the regions for split two. Um, and then, of course, that whole role of whichever region does better, gets better, more uh, people in split two. Um, so like I said, that was me trying to talk about how it's going to be. And so what we'll do from here on out is whenever we go and talk about um, what, whatever we're talking about that day, I'll actually talk about where we're at during this structure at the moment. Right. So obviously this last weekend that we're covering now was October 16th through 17th. And that was week one of season split one. And so how am I going to cover it? Right. So I'm a data for, we're always busy. Um, so how am I going to do this? So what I'm going to do is there's five weeks in each split. So what we'll end up doing is covering one region, specifically one region each week. So October 16th and 17th, I'm covering tonight. I'm actually covering Europe, Middle East, and Asia. They're match one and two. On October 23rd through 24th, that week or next week, I will cover uh, North America, match three through four. On October 30th is when APAC North pays their match four and five. And on November 20th, we'll have Apex South, which will play their match 7th through 8th. And then week 5 on December 5th, we'll have South America's match 11. 
right? And so what this allows me to do is to go and view each region and look at the top people from each region. So that way, whenever we get to split two, we get to split two playoffs, we get to the championships, I'm going to have a better knowledge of who is going to make it there, what they've done to get there. Um, and this allows me to not have to like scramble to get results from North America, APEC North, you know, Europe, all that stuff. It allows me to focus on one stream um, in particular was this last week was Europe and Middle East on that Saturday and Sunday. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, so today, like I said, we're going to be focused on Europe, Middle East and Asia. Um, so the next thing I actually want to do is talk about the scoring. So at the end of each match, teams are rewarded points for placement on the team's total number of kills, right? This is something that we love to see, right? We're, we're, this is something we're praying to see in rank next season. Please, please respond. Give us the total number of team kills so that we can get more points. It's a team game, um, but let's push past that. We'll talk about that on the next podcast next week with Elmer Fudd and, and get more detailed with it, right? So the points are awarded in each match through placement, right? Placement, you know, for first place, you get 12, second, nine, third, seven, fourth, five, fifth, four, sixth through seventh, three, eighth through tenth, two, eleven through fifteenth, one, and then sixteenth through twentieth, zero. And then you also get one point for each kill. So kills can matter, and they obviously do matter. They have mattered in um, most of these games, actually. So uh, if a team misses a match for any reason, then the team receives a zero for the match, right? So that kind of sucks, but that's what it is. It, that's, it is what it is. Right. Um, but basically what I want to hear again is first, second, and third, you have 12, nine and seven. Right. And then of course, uh, you know, they've descended that down. So placement's very important. And a lot of teams you'll see play for placement, but a lot of teams you'll see play for kills. And we'll actually talk about that when we talk about the team comps that were used during this last week. So at the end of each round or match series, a team's total points will include the team's match scores for all the games. So all six games in that match series. So on that last Saturday, they had six games. They, you know, they, they decided they, they didn't tally up all the points and whoever came out on top came out on top on Saturday. And then on Sunday with the next uh, 20 teams they had, they decided they did the same thing and whoever came out on top. And then from those two days, they, they figured out who was in first, second, and third based upon those two days when which teams were did the best out of those two days, right? Because you couldn't play all 40 teams on the same day. So at the end of each match series in the regular season, so each weekend, teams in each series are ranked by a round score that are awarded points towards their regular season standings, right? So the way that this works is if the team, if the if you come out first overall throughout the whole weekend, you and you get first place, you get 12 points as an overall total for your ranking upon uh, amongst the 40 teams, right? Um, and we'll talk about who claimed those spots, but first we'll get 12 points, second we'll get nine points. And the, the unique thing here too is since you have two days of play, right? Obviously one team can get first on one day and, and the other team can get first on the other day. So you'll have two teams at the very beginning this week. We had two teams that had 12, two teams that had nine, two teams that had seven, two teams that had five. So we always had the two teams, right? So um, that's one thing to take away. But of course, when next week happens and they play their rounds three and four, they'll actually be gaining um, 
the the you know different points in. So we'll probably see a team coming out on top next week and not teams tied, right? There's also playoff playoff points, um, but I did not want to cover them there. Remember, you can go to www.ea.com forward slash games forward slash Apex Legends forward slash compete and forward slash overview to look at the document that will explain all of these points, things I'm saying now. Um, so we might not cover all the points again next time. I might just do a skim over them, but I definitely wanted you to know that that's how they're being scored. Um, and playoff points are actually pretty large. So I don't know necessarily how all that's going to come into play, um, but we'll see how it works. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our second topic, which is ALGS results. So remember that we're only focusing on the Europe, Middle East, and Asia here, right? So one of the cool things they did before each match is they talked about what teams to watch. And so I picked three teams out of those that I would like for you all to pay attention to going into um, these matches, right? So the first team was Alliance. And Alliance, as far as I understood, was one that had been there for a while, that they had seen before, that they expected to come out on top, um, which we found out that that actually didn't happen, right? They they didn't, they don't come out on top. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get to scoring. Kungarna is one of those ones that's well known. Um, but my favorite, and of course people are going to hate on me for it, was Solo Q Goats. Um, especially just the ability to make plays, the ability to understand comps, the good calms that we actually got to listen into. Um, and then uh, the, there was one game in particular um, that we'll talk about a little bit here in a minute um, where they, their backs were up against the wall. They had lost two players. They had fought, you know, two against three, one against three, and somehow still made it out alive, took the high ground on the final circle and won the game. Um, now their team is comprised of, my fave Shiv FPS, or wait, not my fave. I was saying they're my favorite. The, it's comprised of Shiv FPS, Diff Q, and Level Zippeth, I think. Uh, so that's your three players from there. And they played majority of the time Valk, Bang, and Wraith. So let's get into the winning team. So game one. Um, so basically what happened was there's was this huge fight um, by the little building up above Thermal Station, um, where there was a large number of ults. So basically we saw that there was a large number of ults being in every ring, right? So uh, that's basically how ALGS is played, right? It's always played in that last circle. Um, so basically what we see here is we have a lot of teams in a very small circle that in in, in the the choice of characters that people play are also... Um, important to note here, right? So uh, the choice of characters is something that ALGS does, I believe, you know, different than what we'll see in our typical games. You know, they pick characters based upon final ring, um, ability to move, ability to, um, you know, be in a different zone and all that. But basically in game one, we had um, a cool win, a really, really cool win um, by Thermal Station where the und team underrated was able to get the high ground because they had a fuse, a Valk and a Gibby, and then they were able to take the win. Right. Um, and so the, the area that I'm talking about here is that little building that is just uh, west of tree. Right. And so they get on this little bitty corner and as the ring inches towards um, them, they end up dropping down from high ground off the little building and claiming um, first place with a, a bunch of, um, 
uh, basically Mastiff shots and, and shotgun shots. Game two was actually at Lava Siphon, right? There was 14 squads at Lava Siphon going into the fifth ring. With slow-moving rings, teams fall and try to stay on the high ground to the last second. But it's Dungeon Masters who takes it due to holding that high ground right above. So basically, we're talking about the the most west section. Um, southwest is what you call it, closest to the launch site. Um, and then basically, Dungeon Master stays there. And then they hold that high ground, they drop in, and they do damage and get kills, right? And so Dungeon Masters won because they were running a Gibby, a Wraith, and a Valk. So you'll see these comps really um, pop, right? You'll you'll a lot of what we saw from from wins was the the Gibby was on. I think almost every winning team had a Gibby. I don't know if there was a team that didn't have a Gibby. There's a couple, I think, but there Gibby was a very picked character wraith was always pretty uh was picked on a team and then valk we will talk about why valk is picked right so we had game three where we had 13 squads left moving into ring six so this was super super lit and this was over by overlook so there was a huge fight at the tower at overlook with a bunch of snipers teams firing so basically you know usually you like to stand on uh in that tower about overlook but not in this case there was a lot of people with a lot of snipers so major pushers won in a three squad fight for the final ring. This was one of those ones that it wasn't as clean as some of the other ones. Um, they really had to fight for the win. It ended up being a toss up due to a crazy game plays and shields blocking damage. Right. So and in, in, in the winning team on this again had a Gibby, a Wraith and a Valk. And we had a bunch of shields um, down shields. And we also had a Gibby shields that were blocking damage. So it made the last fight very chaotic. Uh, for game four on the first day, we had the Skyhook zone. So Skyhook got to see some love here. Um, the team claimed different buildings. Um, so the cool thing about this one was uh, you got to see a team, like one team in different buildings um, as the circle started to close. And so, of course, it ended up playing kind of this leapfrog of when the circle was closing, teams had to move up to the next building, which possibly had another team in it. But the one thing that always mattered was that you knew which buildings had what teams in and which buildings, um, you know, which team was your, your, your worst threat. Right. Um, so actually Kangarna took this due to high ground over the field from the top of the trials. Right. So they had trials, high ground, jumped down on them and, and basically won the game here. And they did that with a Gibby, a Wraith, a Val and a Valk. Right. Game five, we had the circle ending in Lava City and Dome. This was uh this is always interesting because um, you know, you have um lava, you have uh that hill from Lava City up to Dome. And so this is where I was talking about solo queue um goats really played this um, very well. This was one of the, the games where they came back. They had their backs against the wall. You hear, uh, if you go back and watch this one, game five, um, you'll hear their calms in this one. You'll hear them being calm, cold, and collected. Um, and basically, you see them get the power position up by dome that allows them to shoot down at the teams as they come up from Lava City because the other teams decided they wanted to um, to fight at Lava City instead of moving up to the high ground at dome where where of course solo queue goats had already claimed it and they just do this sweet easy cleanup easy cleanup it was it was a nice game then we had game six where we had the circle closing around the tower and overlook once again we had teams in trucks we had teams in buildings and who made the winning game winning decision it's ig international with the win invictus they just completely 
uh, took it. Um, they were not afraid. They didn't play scared. Um, but one of the biggest things that they had for themselves was they had the, the surveillance from crypto. They had the caustic traps and they had the wraith portals to move in and out of the fight. So obviously they had a very cool plan here to get the job done. And that was one thing that IG international of whenever they went to listen into their comms, you heard a lot of those comms focusing around protecting the crypto, figuring out where other teams are. Um, and that allowed them to choose where they would rotate next. So it was really interesting hearing them. It was really cool seeing Caustic being played on world's edge, a, a map that he's not really particularly popular for, but in these in-game circles, Caustic is always always good to have as far as his ult, as far as when you're setting up in a building, anything like that. So it was really cool to see. So on our first day, we had our top teams was IG International with 54 points. We had Dungeon Master with 53 and we had Major Pushers with 51. All right. So on day two on Sunday, we again played on World's Edge, but we had our next 20 teams. The teams to watch on these days was Gambit Esports, which was my favorite, right? They did the same thing I felt like Solo Q Goats did the day before. They were composed, but they were also consistent. Whenever they made decisions, they made decisions based upon knowledge they had earned in other games. Um, you know, as far as how other people were playing, where where were other people landing? Um, they knew, you know, they obviously did their homework where they knew that teams um, that landed Overlook would always land Overlook. Um, so, you know, whenever they went to um, rotate or anything like that, they, they were able to break it down in a way that um, made sense. And then, you know, in each fight, there was just this consistent ability to kill, um, ability to act as a team. And, you know, shout out to those players. It's Artico, Hardecki, and Ledger 3x6. Right. So th that's your team there. Um, and then we had Zeta Division, which was a consistent Loba team. Um, so they were very interesting to, to watch with the Loba. And then we had ScarZU, which are the returning champions of the Europe, Middle Eastern, um, uh, you know, Asia group. Right. So um, they're definitely ones you want to look at. They were definitely ones that were talked about the entire time. But for me, Gambit was my favorite. And so, of course, with game one, we had the final circle looking to be between Cave and Lava City, right? Uh, we basically, you know, if you're at, if you're in Lava City, you have that cave that's coming out to it. This is where it was, right? Um, kind of like what I talked about with the Solo Q Ghosts. That's kind of where the circle was for them, um, but a little bit more towards Dome. Um, so we had eight squads going in around six, which is a good amount, right? If we're going to fight in that little field, it's a good amount. But Gambit comes in with the third party on No Fear's attempt to come back from the dead, right? So No Fear was trying to come back to the dead, but Gambit comes in with that third party and they secure the win. And, you know, we can say it now, even in ALGS, third parties matter. Third parties are huge. Third parties are what gets you the KP points you need. Third parties are what wins final circles. As long as you're patient, you make sure that your push makes sense. And that's what I said about Gambit is they were consistent and composed whenever they they knew when they needed to push. Right. And so that's what's very important um, to, to really learn from these matches. So game two, we actually had Lava City um, circle again, right? It focused around the entrance of the cave again. You had eight squads layered throughout the buildings in ring six, and this was just wild. 
I mean, there was literally, I remember one point there was a squad inside of a building at the door because a circle had put them close to the door and literally outside the door on the corner of the building was a whole nother squad. And then basically what this ended up being was at thermites, we had ults, we had caustic barrels, we had bubbles, um, but we ended up seeing four gang take it by playing it slow and methodical because they were a Gibby, a Cossack, and a Valk team, right? They played it slow. They played, made sure that the Cossack traps were set in a spot that would make sure it would ensure hurt. They were able to protect themselves with Gibby, and they were just able to pull off the win that way. We had game three with the final circle out in the field north of just north of Landslide, right? So this is a pretty big field. As, as the round five closes, five squads battle it out. And this was really where you got to see some gun shines. Eva 8, one of the most powerful guns in the game right now. If you are not picking up the Eva 8, if you're picking up the Mastiff, if you're picking up the Peacekeeper, if you're for some reason keeping the Mozambique, you are doing yourself a disabled, this, this, uh, a not a favor. You, you're doing yourself not a favor, right? Pick up that EV8. So on this one, we had EV8s going wild. We had arc stars being flown. We have teams hiding behind rocks, teams firing at play, people from different angles. But then you had LCDF, which is La Cite de France. They collected the squad wipe after squad wipe and wind just as they capitalized on the other teams while they were trying to heal, right? So you, of course you can imagine this area. Rocks everywhere, teams hiding behind the small rocks, teams looking to stay away from people. And and basically, you just had La Cite de France that just played it slow, but also started wiping teams left and right, really brought their shields up, was made sure they were healed up. And then whenever that last team fought, um, the other team, they came in and stole the kills and took the win, right? So they played it really well. Then you had game four where you had a final circle over the valley and rocks just northwest of Overlook, right? So we're back at Overlook. We had six squads remaining in ring five. And after a huge fight in the train cars, those abandoned train cars down in the valley between Epicenter and Overlook, um, you actually had uh, Nemesis had the high ground as the final ring closed in. But they drop down and they lose in a fight against the team on the low ground who was able to do more damage and to kill, um, you know, just kill. It was just perfect. The perfect storm for uh, Nadis Vincere, um here at the end, as they had the Gibby, the Wraith and the Valk, and they were able to just uh, completely wipe this team that had the high ground could have waited it out even longer. Um, and, and, and of course we thought Nemesis was going to win, but not as just came out and was like, it was one of those moments where you see, here's the champion. You're like, what? Like, that's not that that's not the right team. Um, but that's what's happened here. So then we had game five with the final circle, which looks to be between the fields um, between the outside of the cave and geyser from geyser and the underpass from the train. So imagine, um, you know, the, the underpass for the train right, right below overlook. And then there's that field there right outside there. That's where it's at. Right. Um, and basically we had scars EU, um, the returning champions, they won after a heated two squad battle with almost no hit points. left. I'm telling you, these guys had no hit points left barely, but then a quick flick with the wingman wins the game. And again, we see that comp of Valk, Wraith and Gibby. And then the final game of the weekend, the circle looks to be closing over the middle of countdown. Countdown is a nasty area with high ground surrounding each area, especially when it's closing in the middle of countdown. 
We had 10 squads left and we moved into ring five. Mayhem ensued as four teams fall immediately once ring five hits. I mean, immediately. You had three squads fall by the time ring six was there. You had thermites. You had bubbles. And then you even had the Spitfire appear. And then you had the team Ganask Lodell. I think that's how you say it. Or just, you know, Ganask is one of their players. He ends it. They end it quickly um, by cleaning up shop. Um, once the thermite bubbles and all that cool down, they just end it click quickly. They clean it up um, and they take the win. And so your top teams coming out of day two was Ganask with 62 points, Gambit, my boys, with 58, and Guild with 54 points. For the weekend, we had an overall leader showing as Ganask in the first and in first with 12, tied with them in second is in IG International. And I think the way that they do that, of course, as I said, they they awarded both team 12 points for the weekend. But uh, of course, Ganask had more points during the matches than IG International, which meant they technically took first spot. Right. So IG International is in second and third. We have Gamut Esports and they're tied with Dungeon Masters for points. But of course, Gamut had more points than Dungeon Masters. And then in uh, so that's that's first, second, third and fourth. So first was Ganask. Second was IG International. Third was Gamut Esports. Fourth was Dungeon Masters. We had Guild Esports coming in as, as fifth. We had Majors Pushers as sixth. Kagarna as seventh. Uh, six, nine. 6-9-IQ Esports as 8th, we had Kick as ninth, and we had La Cite de France as 10th. Um, so we had some really cool things go on this weekend, and I think it just it just showed us what we can expect for the next weekend. And of course, I want to shout out those kill leaders. We had Badoli, who played Cossack from the Ganasco Dell team. Um, he had 15 kills for the weekend. We had Matafe from Guild Esports with 15 as well. Now, Matafe is one of those ones that streams all the time. He actually, I think, does some kind of red spray paint, and he wears like a um, a sweatband over his forehead. So he's really cool to watch. So if you don't watch anybody on stream right now from the esports scene, he's really, really fun to watch. Um, he kind of has like a sort of attitude like you would see from um, from uh, TSM. I forget, uh, Imperial How. Yeah, it's kind of like that attitude, but he's a little bit more relaxed, right? Um, and then we had Slayer from uh, 69IQ with 15. And then we had Ganask from Ganasco Dell with 13. So obviously, um, you know, these points from all these teams, four kills. Um, we saw Ganask come out with the most points for the weekend. Two of their players had the top kills out of the whole group, right? Um, and then, of course, with Guild Esports, they came in uh, a little bit closer. I think it was fifth place, right? So they came in fifth place. And you saw that his points from kills help with that too, right? Um, so the next thing I actually want to talk about is the the selections for the teams as far as legends go and team compositions. So for legends um, on the e um, Europe uh, side of things, and if we want to compare this to the North America side of things, the Europe group actually had more variety in characters. Um, so we saw in, for instance. In North America, we saw Gibby picked 99% of the time, right? But in Europe, we saw him picked only 83% of the time. Um, the same thing can be said for Valk, though, but opposite, right? So for Europe, we saw Valk picked 72% of the time. In North America, we actually saw her only picked 
58% of the time, but the most consistent character across all the regions was Gibby, right? And so here's how your top picks goes for legends. You have Gibby at 83% and, and this, I'm going to focus on Europe, of course, Gibby at 83% with 201 picks throughout the weekend for him. We had Valk at 72%. We had Wraith at 58%. And then we actually had some interesting mix-ups here. Some things you wouldn't think. You actually had Crypto coming in next. You had Caustic following him. And then you had Loba as your sixth um, top pick character. And then what was very, very weird is that those got picked more than characters like Octane and Bloodhound. Two characters that we've seen a lot of in the previous LGS seasons um, got picked less than people than people that don't even get played a lot of the times in casual or even rank play out of the normal um, you know casual player group that we see within um, the the people that make up the Apex community, right? So it was very interesting seeing teams pick um, characters like Crypto, like Caustic, and like Loba on world's edge in particular, right? So that was very interesting. So basically then we saw from these top pick characters, we saw team compositions. The most popular team composition as you probably picked up by now was Wraith, Gibby and Valk at 35%. They had 84 picks, right? And so one of the cool things about Europe that was not as cool with North America is that North America's swapping of comps and, and the different characters really didn't happen as much as you saw in Europe. You saw teams change in Europe from what could be a Wraith, a Gibby and a Valk. And the next round they might go, um, a Octane, a Gibby and a Crypto, right? So it's a little bit more diverse. So, but in second place with, as far as team comps go, we actually had Loba, Gibby and Valk. So a lot of people are really taking advantage of Loba and her ability to get you, get her ult quickly at the very beginning, get looted up and go ahead and start pushing fights or rotating to other areas to get more loot. And then of course, at the end game, the Loba is very popular because she is able to steal shields really quickly. If you set it up, you don't use it. You only use it when it's necessary or when a team's pushing, you're able to get a quick swap on a shield that way. And then we actually saw the third composition was the Wraith, Caustic, and Crypto. So no Gibby at all, um, no Valk at all, but we saw this ability to surveillance, cause surveillance with Crypto, um, to set up for in-circle with Caustic, and then ability to Wraith portal out and Wraith portal in with Wraith. And then actually the fourth picked one was Valk, Gibby, and Caustic. So you got to see the Valk brought back with the caustic. And so it was really interesting um, all weekend um, to see all these different characters be played, all the different comp compositions um, that they had throughout the weekend. So one thing that they mentioned at the very beginning of the weekend was two words that I picked out that I wanted to use for the podcast. So we had the word aggressive and we had survivalists. So what this meant was there was teams that they called aggressive. And so this is teams that go for kill points, right? This is teams that push fights, um, are consistently pushing fights, are consistently finding out where the other team is and making sure that they're going that way in order to cause a fight. Um, and these are teams that obviously have um, a, a rough time, right? So uh, it's either you're, you're really, really good, you make the right calls when you push on a team, um, or you push on a team and you don't anticipate the third party and it does come. 
But then you also had the survivalists, which they wanted early rotation and wanted to get a points from placement mainly. So these weren't teams that were looking for kills in the early game. They were looking for those placement points, the 12 points um, for the win. Um, and then obviously they would gain their kill points at the very end in the final circle. Right. And so the both both have pros and cons. Um, you saw both come from the different winning teams. Um, but I definitely wanted to talk about the comps that make up these two groups, right? So the aggressive comps that we saw, the Val Gibeon Wraith, the ones that we saw um, the most, was actually a mix between aggressive and survivalist. I actually saw more aggression out of this comp than I did survivalist, but you still had both on each side. And, and this comp really allows you to do that. Right. Uh, a Valk allows you to reposition. Um, right. You can drop in an area that doesn't make sense as far as rotation goes, but then you can use the Valk ult to then make sure you get to the spot to have a better rotation. Um, right. Where we didn't have Valk before, a lot of teams would make sure they land where they know the rotation would work. Um, whereas now you can land in different areas in the map, but still, you know, fly into an area that will cause you to have a good rotation. Right. Um, the Gibby, of course, is just played be is a survivalist or aggressive because you can shield dance uh, on that final um, that final fight. You when you're out in the field, you can pop a bubble, make sure you got time to heal up. And then, of course, Wraith is is used for both because she can come in and out of the circle. Um, she can be good for when you're pushing teams, be good for when you're escaping teams. Um, Wraith overall is a really great character in general. Right. And that's why we continue to see her and Gibby both. Um, throughout ALGS, um, both this year, last year, um, and, and then all the other comps we uh, we see them in. Then another aggressive team, um, and one of my favorite moments of the tournament was this team was actually underrated, was fighting another team over by Lava Siphon. And so, of course, at the south side of Lava Siphon, between the tree and Lava Siphon, there's that high ground that you can take the rope up to. And they actually get underneath a team there, and they use the combination of Fuse, Horizon, and Valk to take the high ground from the team that's above them. And one of the coolest names that came from the weekend is that the guy announcing called them the B-51 Bombers because they just use Fuse to the best ability. They used him to be a nuisance. They used his ult to, to make sure that the team above them got burnt. They used the Horizon to get up to them. They didn't have to use the Valk to, uh, Valk to fly out. Um, but they use the horizon and the fuse to really just jump up as quickly as they could do as much damage as they could. They took the high ground and I think they ended up actually winning that game. So it was really cool seeing of the B 51 bomber slam down on a team that had the high ground, uh, a moment where you obviously think they couldn't come out on top. They end up coming on top because of the composition they had and they were very aggressive with this comp. Right. And they, and, 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 you know, fuse allows you to do that. Horizon allows you to do that. She allows you to get to the high ground very, very quickly. Um, the next one of course was solo Q goats with octane, Gibby and bang, very aggressive octane to jump, uh, bang to smoke and, and be able to fight in to hold on. Um, and then Gibby, of course, for the shields. Um, so you had a very, very aggressive comp. Any almost any time you see an octane comp in an ALGS tournament, it is an aggressive team. Um, then we had our survivalist, right? So we had a Valk, Gibby, and Caustic. Um, of course, you can see there why it's survival. Valk allows you to escape. 
Gibby puts the bubble. Cossack allows you to set up your defenses. I mean, that just screams survivalist, right? If you want to just set up inside of a building, you caustic the doors, um, you can survive, right? We actually had Valk, Loba, and Gibby also being a survivalist team. This meant this was all due to the ability to fly away and reposition when necessary through Valk. Uh, to collect the good loot whenever the in circle was coming or teams were dying um, around you with Loba. And then of course a shield and revive with Gibby and then to ult. Um, of course, one of the best things about Gibby is that you can ult, uh, put an ult between you and another team to make sure that team doesn't push you. Right. Um, then we actually had Caustic, Wraith, and Gibby, which kind of acted like the Val, Gibby, and Caustic. Like you set up in a building, you can Wraith portal in, Wraith portal out, all that kind of good stuff. With the Crypto, Gibby, and Octane, and like I said before, a lot of what this comp was, was that you actually got to protect the Crypto. And so the Octane had to, to maintain a, um, a good composure, a more survivalist composure in this comp because the Crypto was so important to protect. But the thing about this is that it could get aggressive because once the crypto has caught, has gathered the information as far as where where the teams are, which team makes the most sense to push, then you can utilize the octane to push into that team um, because you have that information from crypto. And then, of course, you can also hit them with alt with crypto. Another survivalist team that we saw was Bloodhound, Wraith, and Gibby. And so, of course, I've already explained Wraith and Gibby's abilities to be survivalist, um, but Bloodhound is just great at any point, right, um, as far as a survivalist goes, because you can scan and see exactly where those teams are. I was talking about earlier where at Lava City you had those that team that was right outside the door. If they would have had a Bloodhound, they would have known that team was there. But they, I don't know if they actually knew that team was there, right? But with the Bloodhound scan, it's very, very cool, um, especially when you get into places where the circle's closing in the Skyhook, um, Lava City, uh, Fragment East or West, where you have a lot of teams that could be in different buildings, different high grounds. That Bloodhound scan allows you to gather that information that's necessary in order to make a informed decision on what you're going to do next. All right, so that is all the results. And so what I wanted to do was talk about what I learned. And so I broke this up into a couple of things. <clears throat> and of course, I've already talked about some of them. Sorry for the cough. Um, I already talked about some of them, but I definitely want to refocus on them again. So as far as legends go, we see that Valk has really made the meta shake up. With the intro of Valk, it comes the needing the the not needing to play early rotation, right? So before Valk, you had to land and play early rotation to make sure that you that you could get great placement before the circle would change, right? So this meant landing on a place with a scan, scanning, figuring out where the next circle is, and then rotating to that place. Whereas here, you could you could land as further away from the circle as you want. As long as you had a Valk on your team, you get the scan because there's 12 different scan points on the map. You get the scan and then you can then you can obviously just fly into where the next circle will be um, and plan out your rotation. And most of the time, the thing about these teams that were able to land far away from the circle, of course, they weren't really contested with other teams because other teams were playing for that rotation that weren't playing Valk. Right. The, the things that I did take away from Valk, though, is Valk ult can be very dangerous. 
right? So if you are fighting another team or close to another team, maybe you don't even know the team is there. If you take off that Valk, of course, there's that initial couple of seconds where you're kind of hanging there. And then even to take off is pretty dangerous, right? Um, people in ALGS most of the time are good with their gunplay. They don't miss, right? And so you definitely want to be able to use the Valk ult in an area where you know you're not going to get damage dealt to you or somehow figure out a way to block as much damage as you can. You know, of course, if your team with a Gibby, use the bubble and then Valkyl inside the bubble and fly out of it, right? Um, of course, be creative with this, but be very careful. Um, of course, being able to fly into in and around final circles. We had one team that actually, they flew up during the final circle because they were about to die and they just spun around and then landed, shield swapped and was able to fight more. Um, it's it's still dangerous, but it is a comp um, or a strat you can do. Um, and then one of the things, of course, uh, you know, whenever you're doing a zip line or anything like that, um, especially going up, one of the best things to do is spin, right? Spin around that zip line so that somebody's shooting you, they it's harder to hit you. The same thing goes with the Valk is whenever you're taking off spin so that that way that they can't uh, they can't focus you, um, but you're spinning and so you won't take as much damage. So that's some of the things I learned from this weekend with Valk. Um, some of the things I learned about crypto. So during the crypto scan, if you're in a place where you know you won't get pushed, right? Say that the team that that's crypto um, ulting you or uh, not, yeah, I said scan before, but they crypto ult you, you can actually drop your armor before you get hit and get not get affected. I had never, ever thought of that. And maybe that just shows how green I am to the game. But, you know, now whenever I'm in an area and I see a random crypto scan or ult coming in, I drop my armor and then I have full armor whenever I get done, right? Um, so that might be a cool buff that we actually see is that Drito, uh, crypto's ult could like maybe even make ground loot armor um, come in with like less points, right? Less shield points. That'd be pretty powerful, but it might make his character played more. Um, the next thing is to use crypto for surveillance to fly high and see if anyone is pushing or checking out where fights are um, just based upon the kill feed. So, you know, one of the teams that I watched do this was at Lava Siphon and there was multiple teams across Lava Siphon and there was a one team in particular that was fighting the other side and you kept hearing Kraber shots. And so they were able to use the crypto drone to look at the kill feed and see where the death boxes were appearing. Um, of course, what they did was the one player, of course, when you're in crypto, you can't see the kill kill feed. So the one player was telling the other player who was dying and the crypto was able to relay the information of where that team was, um, where that team fight was occurring and who was killing who. And that actually helped them figure out, um, you know, of course, who was the team. I know that one point they said, well, that's this team because I know that that's who they're playing with. Right. So it was pretty interesting seeing that. And so it was cool to see crypto used whenever he's really not used that much in normal play. We had Loba then. And so, of course, Loba, like I said, is just that quick swap. Having Loba there to get that early loot, especially if you land where somebody else is, you get that loot real quick. And then, of course, in the end games and any fights, to be able to quickly swap that shield, even if it's for a lower tier shield, is still powerful um, with Loba. And then finally, Fuse. I loved seeing Fuse played by Underrated. They were able to be a nuisance to many teams, right? Um, and this, what this did was it caused teams to not make smart decisions. You saw teams getting hit 
with his little uh, grenade that, you know, the little crackling grenade, I forget what it's called. Cause I don't play him that much. Um, but basically these teams would scramble to figure out where they're going to go next, or they would like be moving all crazy and stuff. Um, and so fuse was able to make this disrupt disrupt, uh, be very disruptive during fights and be very disruptive to teams that were chilling in places. And then the fuse team could of course be aggressive and push in and take and get those kills because the other teams like, Oh man, do I heal up? Do I need to do this? Right? So it was really cool to see fuse used. Um, so here's some of the strats that I've learned uh, over the weekend dropping with familiarity, right? So there was a couple teams that obviously dropped in places they were only familiar with. Like they had a, one team that was an Overlook team, um, uh, and basically they dropped Overlook and they knew how to rotate to all the different areas of the map, so one, the places they would rotate. And this was really great for some teams, but the one thing that did suck is if, if a team had figured out um, that you do drop there quite often, then they, if they consider you a weaker team, they would rotate into you and make sure they get the KP, right? Especially if you drop with familiarity in a place where loot isn't the best, right? Um, Overlook has decent loot, but it didn't have the best look in the game. But if you were somebody that maybe dropped Climatizer or even that little uh, how, group of houses outside of Fragment East, and even maybe even in Fragment East, you could rotate on that team at Overlook, even though they had a high ground on you, you know, they might not have the best of loot, right? So dropping with familiarity was a really cool concept to look at. Um, waiting out the early rounds of necessary and playing the scans, right? So a lot of people don't really play the scans. They don't use those uh, characters that allow you to scan. Um, and, and I think that this is very big, right? There's so many scan points. I think there's, there's 12 or 15. I'm pretty sure there's 12 scan points on each map. Um, that's Kings Canyon, that's, uh, Olympus and world's edge, um, that you can, at any time you can rotate to the next scan in order to get the, the final circle, right? Of course, the, the, the thing here is getting as much information as possible while you're also making the, taking the right route, um, to ensure the placement points that you're wanting to gain, um, and, and all of that. So, you know, play the scans. Um, so who has the loot in order to push and gain better loot? Um, so this is very important because the best way to gain loot is to get it off the death boxes of those who you kill, right? Um, it, that's very important to see. Uh, then you had a new role together Intel on your team. So people are able to do this, right? So one of the biggest things that's important in ALGS, because a lot of it is just sitting around and being patient, is gathering intel. And so the best characters I saw for that throughout the weekend were Valk. Um, and this is like whenever she's, you know, you take off, of course, when you're entering in, you see those green little tr uh, diamonds that tell you where teams are. That's very, very powerful, especially if you're able to fly into an area that's uncontested, you gather that information. Now, you know where all the teams are that are around the area that you're in. Crypto was another one, right? We've already talked plenty about that. Bloodhound, we talked about that. And then Wraith um, was one that of course can sneak up on areas um, and then portal out or, or phase out in order to not take damage. But she was able to be used as a person who could gain e intel because she quickly moves and the phase ability allows her to get back into position without taking much damage. So being that role of the person who gathers intel on your team and actually gathering intel is a very important task that you'll see a lot in ALGS. Um, the one thing I also learned is don't make aggressive pushes in the middle of the zone, 
right? And this is something that, that we should know by now. If you're in the middle of the ring, um, as the ring's approaching in, do not make aggressive push because the third party will happen. People are surrounding the ring. People are in different areas of the ring. The ability to hear a team fighting in the middle of the zone is no problem for those people who are looking to third party teams, right? The next thing I learned is having a shot caller is essential. And I think this for me, um, me, you know, most of the time, whenever you play with a squad of three, you kind of know who your shot caller is. But for me, you know, one of the coolest things about this is you could do this in solo queue, assuming that your team all has, um, you know, voice calls. Whenever you're loading in the game, kind of say, hey, guys, do you mind if we establish a shot caller? Right. And, and I've done this before. We had one game where this guy was like, hey, who wants to be shot caller? And uh, the one guy was like, who has the most experience? I said, well, I've been playing since season zero. Those two have been playing since season like seven. And they're like, so, OK, since you've been playing longer than us, you'd be the shot caller. And so that game, they kept their mouth shut and and I was able to shot call. And we ended up getting points for ranked because we had that shot caller position. Right. And then event, and then one of the biggest things that I see from even just casual players is the lack of confidence. So the one thing that you see in the LGS is that you are confident when you end up pushing teams because you know that you're going to be able to absolutely demolish them due to the position, right? The downfall about anything though like this is even though you're confident pushing a team, the third party can happen. So the questions that you have to ask yourself before you push the team is, can you heal up in enough time? And then where are you pushing? Is there a high ground surrounding the area you're pushing? Are you going to be able to hide in the area you're pushing to heal up once um, once you have completed that fight so that if somebody does third party, you are healed up and able um, to take that fight, right? So um, you saw a lot of teams being smart about the way that they would push teams but when they did push teams, they knew that they would absolutely demolish them because they knew exactly what they were going to do if a third party was to come in or what they were going to do whenever they were pushing the team um, and what to anticipate that team doing. And they would have conversations about that. Um, and then the final thing is focusing on your biggest threat in the final circles. So using those Intel characters, uh, players were able to focus on which team is going to rotate towards us and be our biggest threat. Um, and of course, um, that worked both whenever you're inside and outside of the circle. If you're a team rotating in, which team is going to be your biggest threat as you're trying to rotate in? Are they going to be able to snipe you from that position? Um, what are you going to be able to do to make sure that you can get into the final circle and get into that one, you know, that two or three squad fight um, for the end in order to secure the win? So we saw that. And some fun things that I noticed throughout the weekend is there wasn't as many third parties. Right. Um, and this really just came from people using those Intel characters and then ability of knowing when and when not to take fights. Right. Um, and so that was really interesting to see is on uh, on this map. Of course, I can't wait till we get to see them play Kings Canyon to see if uh, the third party, if that makes much of a difference or if it plays the same as World's Edge because of the um, just the sheer sheer knowledge of the players. Right. Um, one thing that I always feel like I always feel comfortable when I'm in a tower. Right. Whenever I'm in that tower, I overlook the circles closing. I feel comfortable. But in ALGS, the tower does not always mean that you should feel comfortable. And, and in fact, most of the teams that you would see in towers were the ones that would get knocked first because they would get, you know, arc starred, they would get rained upon um, and then eventually get taken down. And then of course someone would take their spot on the tower. And then that meant that they would have high ground on the final circle. And as long as you took the tower 
um, at the right time, you could ensure that nobody else would push on you. So that was a fun thing I noticed. And then one of the teams that I really noticed, um, I forget what team it was, but rotating out in the ring if they had no Valk on their team. Of course, I said Valk shaked up the meta. Um, it causes you to be able to drop somewhere without outside of the ring in order to move into an area with her ult um, that gives you the great rotation. But a lot of teams that didn't have Valk were forced to rotate outside of the ring and take the ring damage, right? So this was um, one of those things that's like, that that happens a lot for me in my gameplay because there's not that many people that play Valk that I play with. And so, you know, maybe this might mean that maybe I try Valk and that way I can explain to my teammates that, Hey, um, the reason I'm doing this is so that we can get good placement. Um, not necessarily do I want to take fights um, maybe, or maybe I do want to take fights, but I want to make sure I land in a way that I know that um, I can you know, maybe third party a fight or something like that. But it was really interesting to see how Valk was one of the main things of the weekend that caused a shakeup on whether a team, how teams rotated, what teams did during fights. Um, and then basically just overall, um, you know, how teams played the map. Uh, it was really cool to see how Valk shaked up everything in the first week back at the LGS. So with all that, I hope that you've learned quite a bit tonight. Um, this is going to be one of those podcasts that I'm just going to ship, right? I might listen back to a little bit, but I mean, this is one of those ones where it's a bonus podcast um, and I'm trying to get it up to you as quickly as possible, especially with the next LGS coming out uh, starting tomorrow. Um, so um, I, I thank you for listening. I thank you for for sitting here doing all of this and you're just really taking this in. Hopefully next time um, with us not having to explain the structure, the prize pools and all that, this might go a little bit quicker, but I hope that you've learned from this like I did. Um, and of course I want to thank you for listening. Uh, but definitely you guys uh, definitely come and visit our link tree, which is linktree forward slash BR underscore broadcast. This is where you will find our anchor link our Apple podcast link, our Twitter link, our discord link and our Twitch link. And let me tell you what, our discord is growing every day. I think we're close to 50 members. Now we would definitely love to see you come in there. Um, it could be for simply you come in there, you mute us, but you're a part of uh, the group to get the latest apex news. I am very, very, very frequently looking at YouTube, looking at Reddit, um, looking at Twitter and posing exactly what I see from those disc, uh, those places into our discord to get you the information you need to see. Um, you know, I'm thinking right now, you know, directly with the new map that's coming out. I literally, we literally were able to get the pictures of the map. Um, we were able to get leaked gameplay in there. So definitely join the discord, uh, from our link tree at linktree forward slash BR underscore broadcast. Um, obviously if you want to watch the apex esports, the best places to do that, um, is you can visit their Twitter at, at play e apex esports, and they will obviously have the ability to get to where you need to get to, to watch the games. You can also have your tweets, uh, your tweets, uh, featured on the actual stream live as well. Um, to watch them on YouTube, you would go to play Apex Esports, and then to watch them on Twitch, you would watch go to play Apex. And of course, they are live streaming on both of those platforms during the day of the tournaments, and then they also save those those games and also do analyses from those games um, and put them on their YouTube account and things like that for you to go back and look at like what was the top ten best snipes, what was the uh, different composition, things like that. Um, 
Now to find me personally, you can look on Twitter. I'm a GOC, or you can just go to the broadcast Twitter, which is capital BR broadcast, um, which uh, I will be on that most time. So if you want to get a hold of me, definitely de- uh, direct message me on there on Twitch. I'm BR underscore broadcast on origin. It's mash underscore geo. That's M A S H underscore geo on stream. It's geo. All right, not stream, Steam. It's actually Geo. On YouTube, it's Geo Gaming. And then on Instagram, it's GOC. And then finally, the best place and and really the place I'd like for you to get a hold of me is on Discord at Geo number 4574. Um, and, and really chat up with me there. Let me know what you think about the, the podcast and let me know what I can do better. Um, of course, I'd love for you to please share the show with your friends. You can rate and review us on any of your podcast platforms of choice. Of course, the one that makes a lot of um, really makes shows popular is Apple Podcasts, where you can go. We already have two five star um, ratings and we would love to get more. And then with that, you all, we will close this up. I will see you next week with Elmer Fudd. I will see you for another deep dive into ALGS. And I hope that you have enjoyed the content. Thank you, and we will talk to you then. Bye.